please pronounce your name correctly for me. Yeah. So if I was, I mean, that's not a simple question, is it? Because if I, if it was my dad pronouncing my name, he'd say Harun Mirza. In England, I'm Harun Mirza. In that's the anglicized version. The French version would be Achun. There's Mirza. So you know, like traveling when 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 I travel for work, I get all kinds of pronunciations and I could just go with the the local the local version so Haroon <laughs> is the local version in the UK <laughs> all right well let's take that back so you said you, your your father would pronounce it one way French would pronounce it, so what's your family lineage then well my the name is actually a Persian name okay uh, Mirza Mirza but my family are predominantly Pakistani my dad was actually born and raised in Africa, in Tanzania, but I was born in London. So, you know, it's a... <laughs> quite it's a, a global family. Yeah, it's a, a com- combination of things. Yeah, like my parents and their and their parents were only born and died like 50 miles away from each other. <laughs> oh, <Well>, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess that probably, you know, my parents had the same situation more or less, you know, like... But now, yeah, I mean, for for my kids, for instance, you know, like the, yeah, they're they're born in London, but they're half Italian, half English, Pakistani. So, who knows? You know, like who knows what? You know, it's it's a question of nationalism as well, isn't it? Like, what is nationalism? <laughs> Sorry. Well, <laughs> well, well, versus gl- well, globalism as well as also yeah, nationalism versus yeah. globalism. Yeah. What attention, right? Well, like, I what mean, kind like, of. I'm American, my wife is Czech, so yeah. our child is going to be what? Yeah, citizens <laughs> of the world, you know? I'm all for it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. All right, so you're an artist yourself, and you were participating in LIAF, the Lofoten International Art Festival. It's a festival, right? Yes, yeah. I always get the wrong. Yeah, yes. festival, in yeah. I keep on saying biannual, but it's festival. Okay, yeah. but, well, but it is every two years, yeah. so I guess it probably should be biennial rather than... Fe- festival sounds like it goes on yeah. every year, like Lollapalooza. Yeah, kind of. right, but LIAF sounds better than LIAB. Yes, agreed. Or, la- or LIB. Liab, Liab. Yeah, it doesn't have the same roll off the tongue, does it? So, yeah. So the you're part of this particular um, occurrence of the festival of the biennial. Sorry. How did you get involved in it? So I guess um, well, I was invited by the Franceschi, the ragazzi. Um, I call them the ragazzi because they're the guy, the guys, although that's only one of their names. And I, yeah, so it was an invitation by them. And, you know, I've, I've known them for quite a while through my ex-wife, Gaia, Gaia Fogazza, who's also in the exhibition. She's she's an artist as well. Wait, Fogazza, same, same name? Fogazza, no, that's Fogazza Ragazzi. So <laughs> there's a ragazzi and Fogazza, so it's a different okay, name. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, there's no... No relation. There's no relations. There's nepotism, but no relation. It's a little bit of nepotism going on here, dare I say it. Um, as in, you know, I, I, I know these guys, but I only ever worked with them recently. But wait, nepotism in the arts? That's shocking. <laughs> nepotism in the arts. Well, the thing is, I the way I see it is like healthy nepotism and unhealthy nepotism. 
Well, there's also like, I mean, there's professional nepotism versus yeah. like family nepotism. Like if a father just gives his son the business just because he's his son, that's family. That's something, that, that's yeah, that's something, that's a family nepotism. business. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get that. But you know, there's what, that's fine. I, I don't, I don't mind that, but um, there's. It depends when, on when whether I, that son's an idiot, but yeah. Yeah, no, but like, you know, the, in the end that there's a, in that instance, I guess it's a um, sort of a lineage thing. It's a legacy thing, right? And, a lineage and a legacy. And then, I love and, um, those, the, but yeah. nepotism. And also, <laughs> but there's, so, you know, that's, I, inheritance is the same thing, right? Sure. So passing on a business is just like a yeah, okay. easy. Bad example on my part. Okay, right? ne- nepotism wh- here in this particular situation. So, wh- so what's the, well, I guess the question would be, so you say you were invited because you've had previous relations, <laughs> almost <laughs> previous relations with the curator. Yeah, you've, yeah. Had, you've had previous working It's not like Bill Clinton or anything. Yeah, like that. No, no. It's not that kind of relationship. No, no, <laughs> you've had previous working relations with, with the curator. Yeah. So like, how did you all meet in the first place? Well, through my, through my ex-wife. So okay. she is friends and has a professional relationship with them because she's also an artist from Milan so um, that's how I got to know them but then I recently kind of worked with them I mean I was doing a project and they kindly helped realize this project because I was shooting in Milan during uh, the pandemic and uh, I needed to um, with the production I needed to get hold of certain type I needed to get hold of bus or like a I mean there was like some things that I needed to organize in in the city during the pandemic and these guys stepped in and really helped out and they we even we even did a shoot in their in their apartment in Milano and so that was the kind of first time I worked with them but that was me sort of approaching them you know asking for help otherwise i hadn't worked with them you know i kind of knew them just from you know from the 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 connection yeah yeah. okay but then you know this is where a working relationship formed and i think you know in the art in the art world we call it the art world but it's not it's an industry like any other industry right in this magical world well that (laughs) that whole thing like the idea of calling art world versus art industry versus art market like these they're all the same thing but they're all very different things yeah well there is i think there is a difference between the art market and the art industry you know because uh generally what happens in the art market is not really reflective of what happens in art you know whatever you know which by which i mean like there could be the most significant and interesting art being made by artists or or collectives or whatever but that doesn't mean it's it has any presence in the art market so the art market and art production or art making the industry of art is somehow there is two different things going on there Oh, I'm sitting here with a sort of mocking look on my face, but <laughs> but I mean, I totally agree, and I'm I'm trying to I'm whenever this topic comes up, I always sort of am looking for somebody to convince me of a better way to sort of differentiate those because the you know the art world people don't like that word because it's 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 almost too big. Yeah, I think it's kind of the arts industry sort of makes it sound a little corporate-y kind of thing, which I'm sort of wishing that wasn't the word either. And no. then of course the art market is really just commodification, sales, mm. and and money transactions. You know, very transactional. Um, so like trying to find some some better way to explain that because 
I mean, the idea of the art institution is is the the fact that basically it's the producers, it's the the actual practitioners, it's the creation with no basis in you know worrying about money, which of course is a lie because we all worry about money. But it's the hope that we can worry not worry about money. But anyways, well, I guess the point is with with artists certainly, and then this extends to like curators and museum people as well a lot of people don't do it for the money that's the that's you know and, and a lot of people make art for free essentially you know most 90 percent of artists don't get paid you know for in what their they do. lifetime in their lifetime perhaps ever you know i mean like i mean when i, I say know, i'm art, an optimist you know, when, I that artist, way. <laughs> when i say artist i mean like you know everyone from like sunday hobbyists you know sunday painters to um, you know, people that are doing major, major museum shows. Okay, then yeah, I'll absolutely give you your ninety percent on that. Then yeah, yeah, I'm a bit more of a snob. I wouldn't include. This <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, I kind of include everyone that kind of does things that have this. You know, that there is no real world utility to them to these things. You know, like now that's a fascinating description of art. Yeah, but I mean, but no then I also real world use. Okay, you, no real world use, but actually then. You know, contemporary art, I mean, this is, I guess this is a contradiction somewhat, you know, has a massive utility to it <laughs> in terms of, you know, maybe bigger than, bigger than, bigger than, um, you know, a laptop, for instance, that you would assume has a lot of utility, but actually, you know, so, so it's a double-edged sword. So there's, on one hand, you don't do it for the utility, but the utility is much greater. It's more sort of societal. You, yeah, you're it's cultural, cultural. Yeah, but also economic. You know, with the with the market side of things, there's an economic utility. Let's not to talk it. about the market. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling. No, I mean, I'm talking about like when I when I may, when I say the market, I don't mean necessarily oh people that sell art. I'm talking about gentrification, how gentrification happens around culture. Hmm. You know, so like areas in in places or cities that are inhabited by artists and musicians and culture that you know those are the places that have the highest rate of gentrification you know so that's uh that's because the artists make it cool yeah well maybe you know but it's a it's a thing it has that so the, the so art itself has this economic utility is what i mean oh it absolutely does but yet the problem with that is is that you can't uh, quantify it No, no, you can't quantify. That's why it's exploited. I know exactly. (laughs) Like if it could be quantified, we could then easily be reimbursed or paid for the service. It's just, I mean, some places do quantify it. That's the thing. I mean, I, I think Scandinavia quantifies it quite well. You know, even Ireland, for instance. Yes. You know, they, they, you know, there's no tax. Now there's even a stipend, maybe. That's you know, right. You know, they are. You know, they, like, you know, they, so it's like, yeah, you know, just universal basic income, right? Correct. For, for artists, right? Yeah. Now that's that's uh, quantifying it. You know, that's validating. I love that. I'm thinking about moving there just yeah, for Yeah, I that. mean, that's incredible, right? It's not eligible for me. I'm not a citizen, but I would. Yeah. But like United States, forget about it. In the UK, you know, going the same route as the United States, you know. Is like, it? It's, yeah, yeah, okay. totally. You know, um, the Arts Council that once was... Yeah, I it's thought no it, longer, you know, what it says on the tin. I was going to say, I thought it was some really, I don't know, powerful, influential lobbying kind of group or whatever. Like they actually did good. Yeah, they do. There is. But it's very tricky now. You know, like most of it is not 
100% funded. Now it's like match funding, so you have to get private money. So it's it's actually becoming more and more like the United States. And you know, there's no ta- the problem is there's no tax relief like the United States. So it's kind of neither here or there. So it's pretty bad. I mean, like you know, Austria is better. You know, Scandinavian countries are much better. France France has a you know a union. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so I always just find it really funny how people always use the United States as an example of bad. Well, it's not, you know, the thing is, it's just a different way of doing it, which is completely in try. Just to be clear on this, I think it's horrible. So, like, I'm on your side. Like, I mean, America, America is amazing in its art market. Yeah, yeah, totally incredible. So, Great commodification, yeah. great yeah. sales, great sort of marketing, branding, whatever kind of stuff. Like they are magnificent at that. But as far as like the great ideas and the great opportunities, even I don't feel like America's the place for those things necessarily. Yeah, sure. I guess it's to do. You know, ultimately, it's to do with what um, the promise of democratic com- capitalism. You know, and. And that's what um, America is sort of, f- you know, founded on. You know, it's this convergence between democracy and capitalism. <laughs> I, I love it how they, it's funny. My my parents, well, my father in particular, always corrected me. America is not a democracy. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a republic. Right. Yeah. It's a republic. Oh, right. oh really? But when, when yeah. so he's always said that. It, it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I agree. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. But I, I, it's it's fascinating that you're. Your father's always told you that. Always correcting well, me because yeah, I'm always great. like, "What about I mean, democracy?" And he's like, <laughs> yeah. you, "You don't live in a democracy; you live in a republic." And I'm like, "Wow!" Fine. I mean, your dad sounds pretty progressive or quite sort of. Well, he's a priest, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Episcopal, so Anglican. No, none to of this. You. None of this adds up for me. <laughs> Thank you. You, you, you understand my family very well now. That's good. That's good. Yeah, my yeah, we're we're an interesting family for sure. I mean, he's a he's a priest for for his entire career. He retired. He now is a um, Russian iconographer. What a Russian iconographer! Specifically, he does 13th and 14th century Byzantine Russian icons. Oh, wow! That's he pr- teaches <laughs> it. He produces it. That's what he does. Yeah, that's insane. That's a quite a career shift. Well, I mean, it's still a religious practice. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, like, I mean, it's still. Yeah. And he actually had his, God, he has, um, no, he got a bachelor's degree in art. So he actually has an art background. So it does fit for him. But you know what? I always thought that being a priest or, you know, being a person of God is like a, it's like a, uh, not a lifelong, like a, how would you describe it? It's calling. like a commitment that you just, that's just your calling. Yeah, calling in life and that's what you do. To then go, ah, actually, I think I fancy doing something else. Oh, no, no. He, <laughs> he, no, he did a full career and retired. So, like, he was a priest his whole... My dad's, like, 80 years old now. Yeah, so I know, like, but, like, the idea of having a career career and being, a you know, in... in it's a job. A pr- yeah, it's and a job. And the church yeah. is a company. Yeah, this is it. Well, this is what I'm talking about, yeah. you know? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm clarifying yeah. for you. Like, so, yeah. I mean, I remember being a kid and, like, showing up for... They call it vestry meetings, but you could call it, like, a board meeting yeah. is basically what it was. And they sat there and just talked about money and right. how to get it and how to spend it and how to use it. And all and, and I, and I like, asked my dad, I'm like, is, is basically the church a company? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. We wow. pay taxes. We do our thing. You know, it's just like a 
company because if they don't have enough money, they have to close the church. And I mean, there's a hierarchy to it. You're going all the way up bishops, cardinals, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, but yeah, well, not, not in his church, but yeah, but the, the you know, but it's, it's a company with a whole series of uh, managers, middle managers, higher managers, all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah. that's, that, that I would give, I mean, I guess that's why he would come to the conclusion that the United States is a republic. Well, he, we, he was also a priest in Washington, D.C., so we were around a right. lot of yeah. politics yeah. also. But it is a republic. It is a, republic because a, a true democracy is one person votes on everything. Like, so, like, anytime there's a new every, bill, yeah, everyone every, votes on everything. Every single person yeah. in the uh, country votes on every decision. That's a democracy. Yeah. We I vote to, to have a representative. Yeah who then votes on our behalf so therefore it's a Republican. yeah yeah i guess there's different sort of schools of thought in democracy itself but also there's a very efficient tax collection in the united states you know the irs i don't know why we're talking about america so much i know we've gotten way off <laughs> yeah, yeah, i mean yeah, you're, no. you just brought up the irs <laughs> Fuck, dude. Like, seriously. It, no, but I mean, like... I want to make it clear. The yeah. IRS is the opposite of efficient. Yeah, well, oh, clear. yeah, no, like, maybe, maybe, but... No, we're most inefficient government organization right. in all of America. But, but, anyways. The, but, the, you know, but the United States collects, collects tax pretty well, right? I mean, it's not like people pay tax, yeah. more or less. But they do it in such a conniving way. I fucking hate it. Like, here, okay, I'll give you some... <laughs> I have no idea why we're so far off topic. But, <laughs> but in Europe, okay, so like you go into the grocery store and you, let's say there's a, a liter of milk and you're like, okay, I want to buy this liter of milk. The price is listed on the on the rack there. It's what? Like, we'll call it two euros. I don't actually know how much milk costs, but two euros, right? Yeah. And you go to the cash register and you pay two euros. Done. All right. It's simple, yeah. transactional. Yeah. You know this. This yeah. is how it works. Great. In America, you go and it says two dollars, and then you pay the tax on top. Right, and then you go to the cash yeah. register and it's two dollars and sixteen cents. Yeah. And it's like, well, why the fuck did you just put that in the first? Yeah, why why are you like hiding this from yeah. me that I then get like this added on thing? Yeah. Why didn't you just why include it in the price? So much easier. Yeah. Like I love it when I go to European stores. Yeah. When I see a price, that's what I pay, yeah, and I don't have to sit there in my mind and think like, okay, but wait, but how much is the tax here? And the way I have to add that amount, and I'm really bad at math and the like. Yeah, but it's even worse in restaurants. No, because in, in because Tipping. here you like yeah you have you 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 have the price what it is you know twenty twenty euros and then it says oh and there's twelve point five percent added as a tip and that's it you know and then you got the total and that's it you just pay that. I love there's that. no maths to do. I love it. I love it. They, in America, they always they always say like, oh, should we? Tip? Oh, well, you tip between ten or fifteen percent, depending on how your waiter served. If they would yeah, do right. like them or not. And I'm like, why, why? This is not a popularity it's a, contest. It's a competition. No, it's everything a, is a competition. But it's not. That's everything. This is a thing. This is what I, you know, like. And this I is think, a great way to get back to the arts. But go yeah, on. Yeah, this is this is a great way to get back to the arts. But it is like a competition. You know, like the funny thing about. I just thought I thought saw a sea eagle outside. I'm so obsessed by those things, but um, the the you know this um, the competition competition yeah you know this idea of uh, the American dream or the Constitution you know like the whole the whole premise of the United States is based on you know here's a bit piece of land there's people there 
but they don't understand ownership. <laughs> There's no concept of ownership. You they, know, those, you know, they're like egalitarian sharing. Those folks. native people <laughs> yeah, that have yeah. been here for centuries. So let's not worry about them. Wherever you put your flag and you just fucking run for it, right, and put it down, that's yours. And put a fence around it. You put a it. fence around yeah. it, right, and then you own it. It's yours. And but so but why is that the land of the free? That's not the land of the free. That's that's like right from the off. It's like it's basically theft and proprietary and ownership. You know, but not like, only that, but these foreign countries, you know, France, England, all these other countries, came in and fought over yeah. the land that not, it was neither of theirs. Yeah, so didn't, yeah. Didn't, no one really. It, you know, it wasn't free land. It no. was. It was actually. It was free land. But then this idea of like, you know, ownership was just superimposed on this land and the people that didn't really believe in ownership or have a sort of, you know, Got care screwed of it, yeah. royally. Well, yeah. Um, so it's kind of a funny, yeah, funny situation. Um, yeah, so it's kind of this competitiveness and I guess... How are we going to bring this back to art? You know, is oh, art a competition? You know, absolutely, is art, it is. Is, is, is art a competition? You know, well, like it's an interesting dilemma because on the one hand, it is okay. Well, I mean, be, but only because of egos. Like really, like we yeah. we compete because we yeah. we want to have better opportunities, want to have a better, better prestige, be parts of better festivals. You know, trying to bring it back here, and you know, yeah. be part of you know better biennales. You know, all these different kinds of things. Like it, it is a bit of competition, but like the hard part is is that art in particular, like the the actual product, we'll call it the outcome of creativity. That is very. You can't be competitive about that. You can be competitive about your job, your yeah. grants, your residencies, your your basically your accomplishments. Yeah. But once it comes to the objects themselves, the expressions, they they kind of can't be. Yeah, competitive. you can't. And I guess also the whole um, idea of art, certainly now at the moment, you know, I don't know if this has always been the case. You know, the very idea of it is like this kind of unique voice. You know, it's your own personal voice and it's unique and it's like you know it's irreducible well you it's, hope it's ex unique. it's an exception yeah you, you hope it right but that's the idea right there's a lot of copycats in the world yeah so there's a lot of copycats yeah. <laughs> but you can't so therefore you cannot you know the very the very endeavor of it is doesn't really uh fit with the idea of competitiveness because you can't you, know, you can't be in competition with another artist because what you're doing is completely different to what they're doing I agree you with what, you. If you see what I mean. Totally, 100%. I, one of the things I love about the arts industry, and even going back to like, I said arts industry, was that the right <laughs> way? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the right way. So yeah. the arts industry is that, like even going back to art school, like yeah. even when I was like in a class with other people who did the same mediums, so like, like I, I was a photographer in school. So when I was in there, I never felt competitive with my fellow photographers. It was always sort of like, how did you do that? Yeah, really, right. that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. And there's this great great sort of like you know all you know uh, high, high tides rise all boats kind of like philosophy of, of yeah. like, or at least that's my philosophy yeah yeah it's not, may not be everybody's but but like i always like see the entire practice of being creative as a communal thing because you're, yeah. you're sharing you're you're offering tips you're yeah. you know just like just even being inspired by looking at somebody else's either finished works or even their process of creating is like oh wow how did you do that and it's so great like 
that's part of what attracted me to being part of this thing because of that sense of community and sort of together sort of growth that happens or I should hope happens. Maybe it's my horrible romantic ideas, but that's the way I hope it should be. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think we all hope that. I think everyone that goes into art making, you know, anyone that goes to art school probably has that sort of romantic idea. And it is a rom- it's partly a romantic idea, but it's also the right idea. You know, it's the kind of essence of art, right? Like, was it, I, I can't remember. I think it's Monet or someone like this. I might be wrong. There's this quote that I remember that always sticks sticks in my mind, and it's um, I don't think it is one name, but anyway, the the the, the and it, I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing as well, right? Absolutely, so we all like, do. And the you know art, artists aren't in competition with each other; they're in competition with themselves and the last work that they made. You know, so it's kind of and that's the thing. You know, you are you know you you do things, and then you're like, oh okay, that's just opened up a whole new thousand possibilities you know and you want to you know you want to kind of make a better work essentially you want to make a better work than the last one you Um, always want your newest work to be your best work. yeah of course and it always kind of it no it isn't that's that's not true (laughs) but it is for you in our minds yeah in your mind in in our minds it is because that's why we're doing it otherwise we'd be like you know if i've made my best work that's it what am i doing making anymore right i know plenty of artists that they are fully like recognizing and aware that they have already made their best work and that they're not going to make anything better but they still continue to work yeah there's always hope you know yeah that you might suddenly come up with something new so like sometimes you have lulls sometimes yeah yeah. that's normal yeah i mean you got that like i i I, my professors used to talk about like as a wave so like you have like your good years and your bad years like i'm doing a waveform hand gestures because nobody can see me doing this but sine wave (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so, you know it's i mean it it just happens you can't be on top of your game 100 percent of the time no no and and um and how you know why would you anyway you know like what's the like what uh where do you go with something you know like i think great works of art in the end are things that accumulate a whole bunch of stuff and they sort of apex and then it becomes a great work of art and then you know it's the it's the it's, it's the apex of that sine wave that you're sure making, you and, know, it, and, and yeah. so it takes a lot of like practice yeah, trial yeah. and error and and there are going to be a lot of sort of like you know mediocre things on that path to get to that apex yeah but and then then, the, then of course you hope that like the right people the right time the right place happens to notice the apex work and not the lull work yeah yeah <laughs> but totally. that's a whole different issue let's get back to leoff but yeah, but but uh, <laughs> but, but let's, let's actually let's not go directly to that because a lot of the listeners may not know about you. So like your what's your background, your artistic practice like? A little bit about sort of what you do and and how you got here. Yeah, so I you know I went like my, most artists went to art school and kind of did that for quite. a quite a long time i have two masters i did a master in design i have two bachelors bachelor and one right yeah. yeah so i did i have a one bachelor's and two masters studied design and then and then fine art again i had a fine art undergraduate degree in then um and at some point i think in my first yeah on my first master's 
I, uh, in my first <laughs> in my original masters, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I got into kind of uh, which was a, actually a design, which was a design MA, right? I I got into making uh, autonomous systems for some some reason. I was interested in autonomous systems to create and reproduce music. I guess that was my sort of that sounds the, cool. The brief that I had set myself and uh so yeah i was yeah just wanting to design new systems to both produce and reproduce music right uh but that ended up but i was never into this idea of like uh a f- product you know something mm. that can be packages packaged branded and you know repro- it, it itself be reproduced i was always kind of just into the prototype and because the prototype was seen i guess more as like you know these these weird objects that had this strange presence mm-hmm. it kind of felt appropriate to recontextualize into like a into like a more art i would love to see an art exhibition of prototypes yeah like, and that's I mean, it prototypes, just, yeah. like, just prototypes. prototypes are amazing yeah yeah because they're all about like fulfilling an idea and not necessarily like marketing it or packaging it or branding yeah. it. It's just like, how do I make this thing function? Yeah. Whether it's an artistic functionality or a f- practical functionality. Yeah. But anyways, I, we digress again. So, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in design school working on a prototyping of musical transcription. Tra- no, yeah, trans- yeah tra- well, reproduction. Reproduction. Like, production and reproduction. So that's what I was kind of interested in. But anyway, then... They they felt more like art objects. I went and did another MA and uh, and sort of recontextualized the same stuff into art. But uh, I mean, eventually, and this took me a long time. Well, just to give it something. So, like, what what kind of time period, like years, are, are we talking about? I don't even know how old you are. So I'm. If you don't mind for, me asking. I just turned forty five. Okay, you're so, younger than me. I'm forty eight. I'll be turning forty nine in a couple of months. All oh, right. So. Okay. So yeah. So sort of similar similar uh, generation. I similar. Guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, more or less the same generation. But we have anyway, a similar yeah, amount of... Yeah, no, yeah. I have more gray hair than yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Close. Um, so, I, yeah, so this is in the... When would it be? In 2003, 2004. I probably was doing my MA, my master's at Goldsmiths, and that was a design MA. And, and then I went to... Chelsea College of Art and Design and did a fine art MA to, you know, re, you know, purpose the prototypes. Yeah, and then then it kind of kept changing, like in terms of like what I thought I was doing. So I think after my second MA, I thought I was just I was kind of making music with objects, right? So I was just using like furniture and some musical stuff like turntables but not not in their not in their intended way and i don't know electronics leds and things to kind of generate these comp- compositions these like sonic compositions and that will be layered and structured and you'd get these like autonomous semi-chaotic sounds or pieces of music so i thought oh okay so i'm i'm kind of making music i guess with objects you know so that's kind of what I thought I was doing I mean even now what I think I'm doing is just what I think I'm doing but it's probably (laughs) something else 
Well, it sounds like you're st- from a conversation that we had over dinner just by, just before starting this yeah. recording. It sounds like you're still sort of doing things like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's for sure. Uh, but then it wasn't until, I don't know, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago maybe now, so for some time I thought I was, you know, what I my 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 work was that of a composer, you know, but not necessarily a composer in the traditional sense of music, chamber music or writing music, because I don't read and write music and I'm not working with instrumentalists or anything like this. But right? you have to have a decent ear for what you're doing. I'm not even sure if I have a decent ear. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a certain amount of way because you, if you have a certain amount of musicality to what you're producing, you have to like at least understand sort of tones and rhythms and things like this. Yeah, yeah, but in a very phenomenological way, in a very like intuitive way, not in a completely untrained way. I was gonna say, can you read music? No, No, I can't read music, but I, you know, I DJed for a long time. But could you, like, if you heard a, heard a particular tone, could you say that's a middle C? No, I couldn't. I okay. couldn't tell you that. You okay. see, this is Just it. Wondering. It's almost like even my even my taste buds are like that. If I, if I close my eyes and put something like a foam of something in my mouth, which has got a very distinct flavor, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was. Really? Yeah, it's kind of a bit weird. Uh, mine's probably because I've killed my taste buds smoking <laughs> yeah. so like yeah. yeah maybe I killed them no but I can I, I know that I know the flavor or the chili I eat every, I have chili with yeah. every meal so right. like I think I burned my mouth yeah so maybe like, yeah. I've done something like that I don't know but I don't think I ever was able to distinguish flavors so I don't think I can distinguish tones or frequencies either I can kind of tell if something's a low frequency or a high frequency or kind of but I'm, you know, like I work with musicians quite a lot and they can say, oh, that's middle A or, you know, that's yeah. you know, C minor or whatever, you know, like, is there a C minor? I don't know. You know, so I don't even know. You know? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I know both of those C-sharp, words C-sharp, are yeah. musical. Yeah, they but sound I musical, don't right? Know the, <laughs> yeah, my father, it, not to bring everything back to my father again, but like he's, he's one of those fucking musical people that drives me nuts. He literally can sit down with any instrument and play it beautifully in 10 minutes. Yeah, right. See, I... I do envy that. Yeah, like drives me. He 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 bought a, a bought a, a, a an organ, like a pipe organ oh, for wow. the church. Oh he, wow, for the church. Huh? He, <laughs> well, yeah, house. no, for the house. Yeah, <laughs> in our garage. <laughs> yeah. No, for the church. He had never played a pipe organ before in his life. He sat sits down for ten minutes and he just starts playing away beautiful yeah, hymns crazy. and I mean, stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's impressive. Fuck you. Like seriously, I can't even. I can't even keep rhythm. Like I can't play drums. Like I'm pathetic. And uh, yeah, I don't think I can keep rhythm. Well, but you don't need to. You can do it with computers. That's yeah, you can do it phone. with computers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm good. I I can beat mix, you know, with with uh, with records, with vinyl, which is, I guess, a form of keeping rhythm. I guess in some ways. Well, recognizing it and aligning it. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, I have a relationship to music and the structure of music and the tonality of music and all the all the things that musical theory theorize. And I have a really kind of strong relationship to it, but then it's completely like, um, you know, it's gone in, it's through the back door kind of thing, you know? So not really uh, knowing knowing uh, it theoretically, but just knowing it through practice um, or, or learning it through practice, really. 
uh, is probably a better because uh, it's always yeah it's a process of learning I guess and then because I've never really been interested necessarily I've never really been interested in making music or really I don't know I think I, I don't have the patience to make music in the conventional way you know or well even the term like making music sounds like you're like recording an album yeah it sounds like something that requires a whole uh product production or knowledge base or like you know like there's there's a yeah there's some baggage that comes with it you know and playing an instrument or instruments um so you know so rather than being rather than knowing what middle c is or middle let's say middle a again rather than knowing what middle a is assuming that is a thing but go right so rather than knowing what middle a is i in my own weird way have come to the frequency 440 hertz which is middle a right but that's a it's also a frequency and but i'm you know but i only because i realize that i'm not interested in 440 hertz for some reason i'm interested in 444 hertz as a middle as middle a would be on the assumption or on the basis that two octaves down two yeah two octaves down uh, is 111 hertz which in conventional music would be 110 hertz. Okay, I'm assuming <laughs> that what you're saying is correct. So we'll just roll with it. Yeah, that. we'll just roll with it. Yeah. It might be bullshit. I might, I might just be making it up on the spot. I uh, don't know. That's sort <laughs> yeah. of the fun. Like, yeah. maybe you are. Well, this is from, what, from my understanding. From my understanding, Fair enough. frequency, musical frequency. You know, 83% of statistics are made up on the spot. Yeah, made up on the spot. This one, this one isn't made up on the spot, but I might have got it wrong when I made it up. But let's, you know, let's not say, let's not say anyone's right in the world. Let's just say everyone has their own It's artistic interpretation. It's fine. Go on. So, uh, as far as I understand, middle A in, in sort of the Western canon of music is, is, uh, I'm not even sure if that sounds right. The Western canon of music, right? Anyway, middle A is 440 hertz as a frequency. And I, during, you know, the last 10 years or so of, of working with sound or electrical signals and creating sounds from electrical signals have been working with frequencies as opposed to notation. And for one reason or another, various frequencies come into my... Um, sort of a sphere of thinking and one such frequency is 111 hertz and that comes from uh sort of studies i mean there was a particular paper i guess that was what that was um published uh four, four or five years ago which associated architecture to or ancient architecture to um neurological effects so uh, or neurological yeah uh, sort of changes so um so across northern europe probably around here as well uh there's lots of ancient uh sort of prehistoric uh you know megalithic or neolithic sites that have that there's well these these are more like long barrows and and sort of chambers that have been discovered that are kind of built into the landscape and a lot of them have 
a, uh, a resonant frequency in the room of between 110 and 112 hertz. So they've been carved out specifically so this, so this not the size or the, sh but the combination of the size and the shape of the room means that the that the resonant frequency is is a hundred the 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 average is 111 hertz. Okay, wait, just to play devil's advocate, were these actually carved or is that a natural phenomenon? No, they're carved. They're okay. man-made rooms, chambers. All right. And so nobody really knew why that would be. And they've done all kinds of sort of experiments in there. There's something to do with like smoke when, when uh, smoke uh, is present in the room. The, the, they, it makes interesting patterns at that frequency. So, you know, with most of these things from sort of the ne uh, sort of Neolithic period or, or before prehistoric, you know, things, when, <laughs> when we don't understand what the purpose was, like, I don't know, like Stonehenge or something. Right, we just make something up. You just make something, or it's usually, it's usually, oh, it's like religious or, or ritualistic. Which is know? really funny because like most of our lives are not religious or ritualistic, no. but yet we assume that all of their yeah, lives exactly. were. <laughs> so, you know, so that itself is a, like you say, an assumption, right? Oh yeah. Um, but 111 hertz is in the human vocal range, male, you know, like mainly male vocal range. I mean, some uh, women can do it as well, females can do it as well. But it's it's a it's a uh, so it's a it's, it's the human um, uh, it's within the human range. Um, but that frequency, so a, you know, so 110 is within the sort of normal you know western sort of musical scales whereas 111 isn't but there there's this also this so neurological effect that takes place which is uh now what's it called it's called uh hemispheric lateralization right uh reversal right which means and let me try and explain this so which it, it means that if you um you know this idea that if you're left-handed you do most of your dexterous things with the right side of your brain yes. and, and 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 other processes happen with the left side of the brain but if you're right-handed that's the other way around but they found in a study and these are neuroscientists they found in a study that uh when exposed to 111 hertz of light and sound there's this kind of flip that happens so you're when you normally do certain uh, cognitive functions with the left side of your brain suddenly it flips to the right side of the brain and they don't really know why they don't have an explanation for it on you know <laughs> what's yeah. what what you know what you know and how there's no there's no how and why it's just an observation that's been made interesting okay so it's kind of you know there's these sort of interesting so so i got kind of got fascinated by this these three things the fact that this happens you know this neurological thing happens and that uh 111 hertz is also a human you know it's within the voice range and that these this ancient architecture has this relationship to it um so that frequency became a frequency that i would then commonly use in my work uh, so programming light and light or electrical signals at 111 hertz and doing things with that and that would be seen as light and sound all right so now bringing this forward to Leoff so let's, 
No, really. I mean, I'm trying to like because I mean, you've given us a great background of sort of who you are, what you make, why you make it, even and your some of your fascinations. So now, one of the things that like part of the reason for this particular set of episodes about the, in the podcast is just like talk about how does like your existing practice of like you have these interests in these things and the, and and these these techniques and these methods and these you know philosophies and theories. And then you've now been sort of connected with a curator and a fest and this biennial because we're going to use the word term biennial because we like it better. And the, the, so like, how does that relationship happen? How do you sort of like try to balance like what they need and want and what you need and want to try and make sure that the, the entire process sort of works uh, well? Hmm. Well, they were, the, the, the process has been quite, um, sort of treacherous in the sense that you know there was a plan and we've deviated from the plan so originally I was going to come here and do this residency maybe it was going to be a bit longer uh, and I was gonna stay on a lighthouse which is really quite inaccessible um, that sounds great yeah and, and in the lighthouse is a recording studio so there's lots of equipment there wait, wait there's a lighthouse here with a yeah, recording studio somewhere, in it. yeah somewhere there's a lighthouse with a remote lighthouse yeah okay yeah great and um so yeah you can only get to it at certain when there's a low tide and um i'm not entirely sure where it is i didn't didn't even end up visiting but so that was the original plan and kind of uh uh you know was sort of you know what we were working towards but then there were then there was practical everyday real life and I could only really come during the kids' half-term period, and it meant that I was bringing the kids with me. But the lighthouse is... The kids aren't allowed on lighthouse. It's, like, for over-18s only, because I think there's a sort of health and safety risk with... with Yeah, let's see, yeah. A, a very tall thing that people can fall off of easily. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the partly that, but also I think the accessibility you have to get, you know, on and off. You know, I, 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 I didn't fully understand what the problem was, but, you know, the it was a problem uh, so I ended up uh, staying here so so that was already like a spanner in the works just to be clear when you're saying staying here oh sorry <laughs> sorry staying in in uh, Svalbard uh, which which is not where I was already it's not a remote lighthouse yeah it's not yeah, a remote right. lighthouse so still in the archipelagos in yeah, northern still in the archipelago, Norway archipelago so still on the still in the uh, on, on the islands and uh, uh, but a bit more child friendly let's say um, interrupting children, you know those kinds of kids that we have. And uh, <laughs> I would say this this area is uh, moderately child friendly, though it's not 100. percent It's a no. pretty rugged area. Yeah, it is, but they're very good with sort of coastal situations. Yeah, your kids, but yeah, not every not kid. every kids. Yeah, I tried to tell these guys that actually my kids probably would be fine with the lighthouse, but they have rules, you know. So um, that's that. So, but you know the. You know, Francesco and Francesco, the curators, had just sort of um, said to me, you know, we we, we want something, you know, maybe sound-based in the show. They didn't, they haven't really said much more than that. It's a good call. You're kind of a sound artist, but yeah. I I, I guess so, yeah. I guess I could, yeah. I mean, I I kind of really um, find the term sound artist a bit, only because, only because my work is so visual you know, so it kind of takes, you know, it's, sound artists is just 50%. I feel like it's only half of what I do. So 
it's fair. It's, it's very rare, extremely rare, actually. Like, I don't think there's ever, there's only been an instance recently where I've presented just a sound. Okay, visual, I, then any, I will I will physical. correct myself. Yeah. Then you are an artist who works with sound. Yeah, yeah, that probably. But you know, anyway, it's it's pedantic. It's, not, it's, <laughs> it's it's not as as artists we're very sensitive to that the, those labels and terminology. Like I get it, it's fine. Like yeah. I mean, I work with photography, but I'm not a photographer. Right, exactly. Yeah. So like this I'm, is yeah, it, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the only invitation, but. You know, so what? So, uh, I mean, I'm just interested in a lot of stuff, right? Generally, just a lot of stuff. And because I work with electricity, because I work with uh, sound and frequencies and these things, I at some point got interested in, you know, what light is from a physical point of view. So, I mean, and I and I kind of went really deep in the sense that I ended up doing a residency at CERN at the Large Hadron Collider for, for a little while. exciting. Yeah, that was, yeah. So that was, so, you know, kind of I needed to somehow learn particle physics. Not that I know anything to do with particle physics. I'm not, I'm not, you know. You know, <laughs> you know I just, uh, one but day I, I was just thinking, you know, particle physics. Yeah. I need to have an yeah, understanding Yeah, but I cheated. I collaborated with, with a, with a, with a guy who's he's an artist as well i guess but he 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 had a master's degree in in theoretical physics physics well to a certain extent i mean what it sounds like a lot of what you do it probably does involve a lot of collaborations with other yeah. experts in certain fields because i can't imagine you have an expertise in all of these fields no i don't have with. an expert i don't think i have an expertise in anything you know i mean the the the, the thing is the exchange with Jack, Jack Jelfs, the this person that I'm talking about, he wanted to bring his work back into to art because he was originally his parents are artists and he was you know he was a musician for a while and then he suddenly had this sort of uh, <laughs> aberration to go and study part of uh, physics. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, of course, yeah, you, know, you know those that, those you rebellious know. kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go to Imperial College and do theoretical physics. Fuck you. And you and, <laughs> and work at CERN. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so our exchange was, I kind of was, you know, I, I mean, not that I taught him anything, but because he literally taught me, you know, a, a lot about particle physics. Like literally, you know, cause he does it. He does it for a living. As like, well, you know? I know the word particle, and I know what the word physics means, but I'm not sure what particle physics. Oh, is. so it's but like fundamental, like so. What everything, well, the building blocks of what all of reality is made of. Which is what CERN which is, is there yeah, for. Yeah, which so is like, what CERN is. Yeah. Therefore, this is what also CERN. What you know, what they say to the world that what what they're there for. But they're like you know, in the end, they're like the rest of us. They're just doing their thing and they're, they they're just doing cool things on a really cool big things, yeah, scale on a really big scale yeah. Like really uh, yeah and a very impressive scale you know but you know for, for us you know our project there was to do with consciousness it was to do with the relationship between matter and consciousness you know which is something that well, that's, that's a nice really small about. inquiry yeah like a tiny little you know yeah. <laughs> tiny little thing you know and then we answered that question and then we went off and okay did it. good <laughs> you went out and had a beer <laughs> got it okay so you know and when you get to the crux of what physicists at CERN are doing you know they're like in the end they're like the rest of us and they don't really know you know they don't know they know they know that they don't know you know they know that they're not going to answer the questions like what are the building blocks of reality and, and where who are we where do we come from 
you know, the the good, the most interesting physicists know that that's like what, you know, CERN as an institution has to tell the world to be able to get its funding to do what it does. Right. Right. Um, like artists do. Like yeah. artists do, right? Like we all do, right? So so it's a quite a humbling, uh, humbling in that way. But it's also incredibly um, fascinating and just like, profound you know the work that they do there the, the way that they're able to like really look deep or obs- observe you know nobody's ever seen an electron or a proton or any of these things but they can observe what they do they can make measurements you know on these on these things that are so you know so so tiny you know <laughs> that um I mean, to to some degree, it's completely abstract, you know. But then, you know, we interviewed a bunch of physicists there and, you know, you can ask them a question like, uh, is maths an ultimate truth, right? But guaranteed, you know, half of them say, half of them would say yes and the other half would say no. You know, so even at that, you know, sort of extreme end of, of knowledge, it's a bit of a free-for-all you know sure so so then you've taken this the stuff that you worked on in cern where you were starting to look at light and physics and all this stuff and then and then bringing that back to the festival again because this this is my role here to sort of keep wrangling you back to the festival so (laughs) so and how that be because now now you've involved the idea of light because i heard again like i'm i'm telling the listeners about things that basically we talked about at dinner so so like so the the nature of light because up here in this northern part of norway the light is a very important element in existence up here and so so then you so you know noticing this sort of thread of like how things are going through your career and how they're sort of leading to this like this is the thing that i find really fascinating yeah yeah now that's yeah that's an interesting way of putting it because you know for the past uh nine years now i've been also working with solar energy quite a lot so um the thing that's incredible about this place the arc you know the edge of the arctic circle is the sun the presence of the sun so you know at this time of year you know in 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 a, in, in a few days time on the, on the 21st of june you know there'll be the the summer solstice and you have 24 hours of daylight you know you have the sun just like circling around like just there right the whole time and that's kind of insane right and then fast forward to to winter the winter solstice yeah you don't you have zero sun but you have the aurora which is you know which which is particles from the sun coming and combining with the gases in the air the 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 what are they electrons that get charged they're charged particles and they combine with the electrons in the atmosphere and they emit photons they emit light Oh my right. God, I love that you're telling me that because somebody asked me what the Aurora Borealis was the other day and I said that pretty much sort of like that same idea. I'm so happy I was right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I read about it for the seventh time this week, you know, so I'm like kind of trying to get it right. You know, uh, they didn't know for a long time what it was. I mean, even now, I don't think they completely understand how it's kind of working and how it's happening and you know why there's several colors yeah there's know. also something about magnetic stuff yeah as there's well. a sort of magnetic poles and that's yeah. why it exists 
around the around the North Pole and the South Pole. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's an inc- but you know, I don't know how it works. But you know, sometimes the mystery. Yeah, is the mystery. The, the mystery is enough, right? Yeah. But we know it's as far as you know what we've both you and I have both read right recently. We know it comes from the sun. It's the it's the it's the it's the you know the from the solar flares, the storms that come off the sun and, and end up and end up here on Earth. But we've got you know the presence of the sun in its physical form of light and heat. You know, twenty four hours in the in the in the in the summer, and then you've got the aurora, which is also a, you know light and sound as well. Actually, the the same the same processes cause sounds in the atmosphere as well they're not actually um connected to the aurora so it's not like the aurora is making sound but the but the 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 solar storms the charged particles also do something else in the in the in the atmosphere that creates sounds um and uh so that sort of becomes a uh for me and what 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 i what i do just like a something that I can't really ignore, you know, in, in, in just from being here and ex- experiencing it. So I, so today, you know, I came up with the, with a proposal after spending a week here. <laughs> so, so after my entire life experiences and the fact that I've been like working with these curators for the past year and a half today, June 4th, with less than three, two, two and a half, three months before the project is meant to be fulfilled, we came up with the actual idea. Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah, Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that in this old abandoned school building, there's a sort of a, 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 a AstroTurf football pitch, mini football playground thing out outside. So that is going to be, um, there's going to be a sort of a solar array installed on that thing in a sort of a circular um, form around the edge of it. And that solar array is going to be feeding a device that I guess I will, I will build in the studio, uh, which will be converting the light from the sun into electricity through the solars and then dispersing it with probably at the moment light probably it will be like leds and these tapping solenoids which are like little tapping things and they'll be tapping rocks that have been collected from around here which will be in a circle sort of like a stone circle i guess but inside this abandoned school so that sound will be present indoors but that sound will then also be transmitted outside to where the solar panels are so you can hear hear the sound outside as well that's the plan as it stands today you know that sort of <laughs> was, uh, brainstormed or engineered um uh, today no and i love this site. because i mean as i said this is sort of a behind the scenes kind of thing of the yeah. of the process of this so like what kind of like concerns would you then see that what might make it so that can't be done or maybe what are some other things that have sort of popped in your head that maybe you haven't even brought up to them yet kind of thing so like it it, because it's not for lack of a better word and i apologize for the pun but like it's not set in stone so so you you know up literally pretty much up until the day of the opening you can make changes and all this kind of stuff so like you know how much of it is 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 the like 
I would imagine the solar power seems like it's very important to you. The sort of either the tapping or the LEDs kind of thing is like element is important to you. Stone is important to you, but then everything else is still sort of how it's going to sort of combine is still sort of variable at this point. Yeah, I guess it is. And I think, um, I mean, that's, I just put that down to the process of making the work. I mean, I'm just, you know, like, and that just happens and it evolves until the point that it's actually there in the in the space and i guess that's we just have to rely <laughs> we just have to it's just a, a whole lot of trust and faith that needs to go on <laughs> well, well, okay. well, well one element that comes into that that like we've discussed nothing about we've talked about theory and ideas and concepts and stuff as artists we love just like talking theory and like coming up with big ideas but in the end it's still a, a, a biennial and it still has a budget and so like it's still so how has that um impacted or affected you like you know you come up with great ideas and big ideas as we all do but then you have to take into consideration not but also just to be clear not just like financial budget but like time budgeting um the accessibility budgeting as far as like just having the resources brought to this location because this is not some central you know hub metropolitan area so like it, it there's a lot of sort of other logistical concerns beyond just finances so how is that how are you having to sort of balance all of that stuff in as well yeah well i'm trying to figure that out because before I came, like a couple of days before I came here, I was, you know, like as normal, I was sent a contract to look at and, <laughs> and sign with a clear sort of indication of what the budget is. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite, you know, uh, you know, budgets are broken down f from, for my purposes into two parts. One is a fee and one is a, one is the production, right? And the fee is always in the end negotiable depending on what the thing is you know if like sometimes you know if the thing thing is really worth doing then the fee you know whatever you know like uh, or or sometimes you know the fee is the reason why you do it in a in a way you know it's always like a balance and well i, I guess the fee is never the reason why you do it. that's kind of silly to say because you would only no. really be in a situation because because i never really the, the the thing about the fee and the budget and and like this kind of contract only comes up really late in the conversation really yeah i mean certainly the converse, i mean certainly the conversations that i have i don't talk to institutions or organizations or anyone about money until actually i i never until they they bring it up and sometimes it's a bit of a problem uh and sometimes it's all right but you know so basically what what I'm saying is like the fee is like a negotiable thing in terms of like what the situation is, you know. Certainly. But the production budget is a production budget and certain things cost certain, um, you know, certain amounts to do. The studio uh, has to run and people uh, have to be paid and uh, and overheads and things, you know, and fabrication happens, rent things need to be rented and whatnot for. Wait, I just want a little clarification. Yeah. You have a studio with employees? Yeah, well, actually, currently, I have a studio, but there's no employees. Since the pandemic, there are no employees, and I only really, at the moment, I'm working with freelancers, uh, and that seems to work really well for now. I guess I'll have to go back to the employee thing at some point. But actually, this is a more sort of uh, non-hierarchical kind of 
nicer actually working with people with free freelancers or people some of these people that i worked with for years and some of them were employees and then they became freelance and it's a kind of a nicer way of working somehow so i i don't know if if, it, if it's sustainable I, i'd prefer to continue working this way but well i would imagine because like the artistic lifestyle is not 40 hours a week production all year round always having something to be done and 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 that has a budget to pay an yeah, employee exactly. kind of thing yeah so like yeah i mean freelance seems like a reasonable way i mean sadly of course i would love to hear that you know we all can afford to pay full-time salaries yeah, health yeah. insurance you know the whole thing that would yeah. be great but <laughs> you know unfortunately that's not the world we live no, in exactly. so. <laughs> so yeah so pr producing things and you know that does actually cost something and I'm pretty sure that what I've proposed or what we've discussed today is goes over what's, you know, been presented as a budget. So that's a conversation, I guess, we're going to, it's going to be the next. Are, are they aware of that or is this just yeah. something you're, you're thinking to talk to them about? No, no, I, I've already bought, bought it up. I've already said, you know, this is going to cost a little bit more than what's in there but then you know then there's it's you know everything's a kind of a negotiation sure some other artist in, the, do, in yeah. the festival might be under budget yeah exactly well, yeah we don't know you know we don't we don't know what the i've never known an the, artist to be under budget just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's under budget. Yeah. so but then there's also like you know beg steal and borrow you know like you get sponsorship sure. or you get like people to chip in and you know like these kinds of things and other people to help I mean, you know, galleries can help sometimes or we can you know you can bastardize things from before sure you know instead of like fabricating new things you know so there's 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 always ways you know just to be clear are you represented by galleries or a gallery? yeah uh, yeah i'm i've been represented by a gallery quite an international gallery for the for the last 11 or 12 years if you just say like oh yeah pace gallery or something I'll be like, it's listen you. gallery so they're quite you know they're kind of, <laughs> they're kind of a white yeah. cube you know serpentine yeah <laughs> i mean it, it it is i mean listen gallery are you know the same um i mean they're like the uk version of pace gallery or more, more like um who would be a good probably like matthew marks or um, all names I recognize. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, listen. I, I mean, I know the gallery. Listen. Yeah, they have a. They have yeah. two spaces in Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, in New York. Yeah. Okay. So very you know, impressive. I mean, I'm very sort of envious, quite honestly. <laughs> so they, I mean, you know, but there's also this love hate relationship with galleries, anyway. You know, because I no, I have pure love, so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you know. The, the thing is it's like there's this idea that galleries sell your work but uh, good galleries don't i guess i mean this is maybe this is a complete assumption or a, or a idealistic way of thinking but good galleries don't I'm sell romantic, your work so it's fine go ahead yeah yeah good galleries don't sell your work your work sells your work right and good galleries are there and they they're very kind to you when the work is selling so if the market is hot then galleries are great but when the market isn't hot which inevitably happens at some point the galleries sort of you know go quiet you know so um and that's not really the fault of anyone really but it means that it's kind of it's you know it's a tricky thing because one minute you're like you know shit broke you have no money you know you're kind of like making ends meet and doing your best 
and then the next minute suddenly you've got lots of like surplus income that you've never had before it, you know it, this is i mean uh, this is just my experience this is obviously not everyone's experience everyone has different experiences of course uh, but my experience was going from absolutely you know nothing coming from a very modest working class immigrant family to suddenly having uh, you know doing what i thought was kind of a hobby basically not not a vocation not a job or anything like that to suddenly um having quite like more money than i could ever imagine even my dad ever having uh in a very short space of time and then building a life based around that sort of infrastructure and income and then suddenly it disappears again you know nobody tells you that you know the galleries don't say oh by the way <laughs> well some do they are, some do some are good like i mean i remember being told like you know like when things are hot be sure to always save some money because things yeah. will be cold at some point yeah yeah i guess they i guess they did they do tell you but that doesn't mean do we do. listen yeah but we don't listen i mean i certainly didn't listen i certainly didn't think i just thought well this is it you know it's all like it's, it's going to be north great. from here, right? Yeah. right. yeah, I mean, the, the theory of an art career is it's a direct a, a line that goes straight up. Yeah, or like, well, on a diagonal is what I'm sort of drawing. But like, it progresses better, 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 better. Yeah, but it's still that waveform that you were doing. You it know? really it's is, like, yeah. It is a, it Even is financially, waveform, yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything, everything is a wave function. So, um... <laughs> going back to your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole of reality is a wave function. So, uh, based, on, be based on particle physics. Based on particle physics. That he now yeah. has a mastery in. Yeah. So, you kind of, um, yeah, don't really expect that. I've kind of completely digressed of what you were saying, but you don't, ex you, there's no expectation of, at some point, there's no expectation of, because the thing is, the value of your work doesn't decrease. Correct. That's the, that's the weird discrepancy, right? So, your work just continues as an artist just continues to get more and more expensive right but then you can't sell the work for cheaper at any point because that will fuck everything up right You're, i mean yes previous yeah. collectors will be angry because yeah, you've yeah. now devalued Everyone, their yeah. work yeah. so but it means that when when it's not hot or where it's reached this sort of peak of like oh actually it's gone beyond that threshold then nobody buys it anymore right or for for some time uh those are the those are the tough years you know and then you have to remodel i mean i, I guess what i did was yeah so for, for many years my work just became about production and fees you know so i was relying on literally this kind of thing it was like fees and production um budgets and that kind of worked actually for a while. It was it was it was kind of fine. And what happened that ended that was the, I'm guessing it was probably like either 2008 the financial crisis or the COVID. No, because no 2000, I actually didn't really start making any money. It was the financial crisis that actually helped me because it was a moment where well it was in 2011 2012 where I started selling my work. 2008 I think I that's when I graduated that's when I sold my first work but it was so fucking cheap that it was like you know because right we're not gonna you know all the collectors are like oh they don't want to spend money in the middle market they'll still buy this is what happens when there's financial crisis or like pandemics or whatever right meteorites and 
you know, asteroids and tsunamis, right? Uh, what happens is the middle market crashes. The middle market on everything, you know. The middle market crashes, right? Yeah. So the blue chip is fine. And then there's an emerging market, uh, you know, like a low end market that people take punts on and, you know, they can still. Uh, so that's where I was in 2008. Uh, and still in 2011, 12, you know, it was kind of still that my work was still cheap enough to sort of be uh, in that emerging market. So it was fine. It was fine for a while. Uh, and then the market just dropped off because it, I guess it got too expensive and, you know, I wasn't hot anymore. There was other, there was cooler, much cooler, much younger. So you, you matured into that middle market. Yeah. So I matured <laughs> into that middle market and yeah things sort of slow down but then you know i was lucky enough to have good relationships with curators and museums and things to sort of evolve though that side of things and like i said the sort of the fees and production was a thing that kept uh, me afloat and then some I, I guess a few major patrons you know collectors that would you know buy things here and there to sort of help out you know there's this sort of patronage part of the, I, I'm not part of that world. I I'm aware that it exists, <laughs> but I yeah the the I don't know any of those people. Well, I think they're you know they're people that they're usually I guess collectors that have bought work, you know when it's cheap and then they want to continue to support. So it's kind of more like a yeah it's like a it's you know it's no like it's patronage yeah, it's patronage, it's patronage. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that changes the... But then pandemic hits, you know, and that's like a completely different... Well, I heard... I could I could be totally wrong on this, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I heard that you were somehow associated with the Venice Biennale one, in one year. Yeah, that was in 2011. Yeah, so I... Uh, yeah, I showed at the Venice Biennale in 2011, but I also won the prize for the young, you know, like emerging artist, whatever it's called, the Silver Lion for... I think it's like most promising artist or something like this right which obviously gets you know it gets a lot of attention so i mean things like that help you know in terms of um yeah people paying attention and what well, the reason why i sort of led to that though is because like i've heard stories both ways some people say like I was part of the Venice Biennale and it was this great platform that then sort of launched my career and I've done, you know, XYZ since then because of that thing. I have also heard stories from other guests about I was part of the Venice Biennale and my career ended after that because everybody thought I was too good for them. Hmm. And so nobody invited me to participate. Yeah, I think there is a bit of that as well that can... That certainly can happen. I don't know. You know, like, it's it's such a uh, minefield. Like, it's not something you can second guess or, like, you know, you, it's not... There's no formula. Well, it sounds like your experiences were good because you said 2011, 2012 was, like, a good year. That's when yeah, things started to go good, off. Yeah. And that's the same year that you were in the Venice Biennale. So it seemed to yeah. have been very... You had yeah. a positive... Uh, uh, trajectory from that point yeah and I think then it starts to plateau you know uh, around 2015 
you know and then you sort of I, I keep trying to be like make your career sound great no it is going, great and no. you keep going like well you're then it plateau yeah but it's like <laughs> like we were talking it's like a wave but now you know but it then is. it comes back again it does oh hopefully I mean, and uh, but it already is you know for me it already feels like oh okay i've gone through this like uh this sort of lull almost but what is important is that uh i didn't just go oh well nobody's getting in touch now so i'm gonna you know hang my paintbrush up <laughs> and go in you're not a painter go, but yeah. okay you know like uh, you know that's not uh but i just continue to plug away at whatever and then uh at some point people are like oh he's you know he's still at it you know or what you know like so there's i think there's something to be said about perseverance and also like we were talking about earlier you know you can people you know i've i i've i've probably made a quite a bit of shit work as well you know in, in, that, in that in that period you know in that i didn't say that, that just period. to be no, clear no, but we all do you know we make we make things that are interesting and then we ride off that for a while and you know it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that everything else is going to be good until you kind of really get your head down and start you know or something or some shit happens in your life that you have to like you know yeah think about things in a different way and that comes out in your work so i i imagine it's a combination of all of these things uh but it's not like hey it's a career it's just this exponential curve <laughs> that keeps going you know the exponential is 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 by itself a uh uh unsustainable thing you know it always turns into parabola yeah so it curves around and goes well, you just hope that, I mean, what, you know, the, the, the curve, the sin curve that you're talking about, you just hope that the curve gets bigger, like taller, not, not deeper in the sin, but like higher. So like you hope that the next better thing you do yeah. is even better than the yeah. previous. Kind I of mean, thing. we look at, you know, we look at, you know, every, we were talk, I was joking about this wave function thing earlier, but you know, like you say in physics, you know, all of reality is kind of understood as a wave function right and and we look around us now and everything you know like if you look at the stock markets you know people just literally sit there and look at these waveforms day in day out you know bitcoins bitcoin yeah, yeah like crypto you know like crypto is is crazy for that um nfts we're not gonna go into no that we're not topic, gonna go but, into but, <laughs> 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 i'd love to but we're not gonna we're not gonna would go you really that. love to well talk about nfts yeah i mean we we can do you want it? It's a rabbit. It's a it's a, it's another fucking rabbit hole, isn't it? Okay, to, okay. Here, let, let, <laughs> let's finish up the Leaf part of this. But well, there's something that you brought up though is like, so you do you do festivals and sort of commissioned works and in things with institutions stuff. What what's the relationship? How do galleries care about that or encourage it or discourage it? Like, what's the relationship? Because I mean, because they're about for all practical purposes, yeah. sell sales. But you're producing works that, for all practical purposes, are unsellable. Kind of yeah. thing. like so, they're sort of site specific. Yeah. You know, very time specific, even kind of thing. So, like, how does that balance out for you? Yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? Because I mean, the cynical side is that galleries, you know, their interest is commercial. I mean, don't get me wrong. They could sell this product. That, that, oh, sorry, they I could. called it a product. <laughs> the product they could sell this industry. Boy, that was Freudian. <laughs> but the, they could sell this piece of art that you produce for this festival to a collector, and yeah. it could be transported anywhere. But I feel like that's not a an, an obvious thing. 
it's not it's not an easy sell i mean i'm gonna be like you don't frank, say you know no yeah exactly it's not like you know my my gallery the thing is i work with a really good gallery like they they don't have they don't put any expectation on me on what to produce at all they support things that quite frankly other people just wouldn't support but you know it's also there is another cynical side of it is that you know if you're doing interesting stuff out there with these things that are unsellable they can be selling the sellable stuff on the side you know because there's always parts of a practice that can be commodified and, and sold you know i mean that's i guess the general idea or the cynical side of it but the the people that i work with are, are all you know kind of genuinely into art or the or the or at least the work that art can do culturally and and, and socially so you know for me like an artist like me in that in that roster you know i'm not i'm not you know i'm not bringing in cash for them <laughs> or huge amounts of it okay you know, there are you know there are there are people that perform that you know that side of things and 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 it allows you know and and so it's it's a, let's let you know it's an ecosystem well, I mean, in every roster of every gallery, because I've also like managed galleries back in the day, and there there are the the bread and butter ones, the ones yeah. that like every time you have an exhibition, it pretty much all sells out. And then there are the ones that you sort of support because you believe in them and you think they make great work. And and you know, and, and I'm going to be a little cynical about it, but like, and you like having their name on your roster kind of thing, like because it like gives a little panache to whatever you know to your roster saying oh we have this person even though they don't sell very well but we have them kind of thing so like there there's a balancing act to that because like if you had nothing but sellable and marketable artists then you're a decorative gallery you know it's like you kind of have to have that balance in there or else people won't take you seriously as a fine art gallery they'll take you as just like a poster shop yeah but also, you know, the artists that do have like highly commercial, you know, like everyone feeds off each other. You know, it is like a little microcosm, you know, it is like an ecosystem of people. Yeah. Feeding off each other. And there's a discursive side of it that doesn't go away. You know, there's a critical side of it that doesn't go away, which is part of it. Um, so I think it's. Yeah, I I mean, the you know, having a gallery is support structure you know that can be really useful even in doing something like this i mean that the you know my gallery aren't involved involved in this at all but the last uh biannual or triannual that i was involved in in Lille, for instance they were really involved you know in producing the work and and, uh, and helping it even if even if the work is challenging in terms commercially right you phrase that so much better than me but, <laughs> but uh but you know there's also there's sort of the longer game you know if if uh, if the work you know there's there's a chance that the work has some kind of relevance or significance and uh and you know it existing and being looked after might might be of some kind of value in the future you know and that's i guess that's what we all hope for um in in some ways yeah all right. Any last little things you want to say about sort of the the project that you've been working on and will be sort of uh, completing for Leoff? 
which will be opening September 3rd. September the 3rd, which yeah. Which I'm so, so excited because that's yeah. my birthday. Is that your birthday? All right, great. You, you, are you coming back? No. Oh, right. <laughs> You're not going to celebrate your birthday in, well, in no. Liverpool well, the, well, my, bir- my birthday is... Well, it's... <laughs> My family, you want to talk about my family being fucked up, <laughs> but my family for 13 years when I was a child. So from my birth until 13 years old, we celebrated my birthday on September 4th. Oh, and then I went to re- go register for, I don't know, summer camp, I don't know, sports camp or something. And I had to take my birth certificate to register. <laughs> and I asked my dad, I said, Hey, can I see my birth certificate? He's like, yeah, sure. And he just hands it to me. And I look at it. And I'm like, I was born on the third. <laughs> and he's like, what's the story? So you were. <laughs> what? Isn't there a story? Did they change? Oh, it's even worse than that. Like, <laughs> in my, in my little like baby book, right? They, they actually wrote October 4th. No way. October 4th. So they got both the month and the no day way. wrong. How did, they, how did they mess up? And then they even engraved a silver spoon, you know, like they did for children in the, wow. in the, at the time. And they, they did October 4th also. So like they fucked it up all around. So like for 13 years. And to this day, my baby book still says October yeah, 4th. I mean, that's kind of cool. I like the idea of people not knowing when they were born. No, like, I, no. You know, well, like I mean, sort of legally on my are. birth certificate, I know exactly when I was born. <laughs> yeah. But my parents don't care that much. Yeah, well, fine. I'm... I'm <laughs> they still... They still <laughs> admirable. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 40, coming up on 49 years old. My parents will still call me on September 4th and wish me a happy <laughs> birthday. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my... Uh, yeah, people from Pakistan, my, my parents' generation... None of them know how old they are. Yeah. They've got no idea. It's not you know, that important. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. Well, I don't know when my birthday is. I'm older than you. That's yeah, all yeah, I need that's to it, know. Yeah, yeah. He's the first oldest. I'm the second oldest. That's She's right. the third oldest. You know, it's like this, you know, and that's it. You know, that's like all this. you need to know. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. So, yeah. I digress that time. Yeah. Leaf. Um, Leaf. So the piece at Leaf. I don't, I don't know what to say about it because I don't, I feel like it's still in its sort of, you know conception in a way it's still being conceived and involved and i hope i just i i guess i hope it has some relevance to the to the place to this location and some relevance to the rest of the exhibition and the other artists you know and 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 that there's a sort of relationship and it's a it's a sort of progress for me and and my work and it does something uh, it moves forward or moves, evolves in some way, whether, you know. Well, I would imagine, okay, so, so sorry, diverging again, but like I would imagine as a an artist, so you have your practice, you have your galleries, you have your institutional shows, you have all these kinds of things. Doing a festival like this, to a certain extent, is almost a testing ground or a proving ground, like taking some theories or some ideas that you, you might want to do for for lack of better and, and I apologize that it sounds bad but like for like a more prominent uh, exhibition that you might do somewhere else and so like this is an opportunity for you to like investigate some idea theory material whatever uh, and I, I feel like to a certain extent uh, festivals are, are a great place for artists to be able to do that yeah I guess they are but I don't think on those terms you know I mean like I know it's totally uh, yeah, my it's my like, thing I think because you know uh, the the most similar project that I've done before to this one is a stone circle. Uh, it's a stone circle in Marfa, in Texas, right? So it's a it's eight large, you know, l- larger than life sized 
um, marble boulders from Monterrey in, in black marble from Mexico uh, that were sh- trucked up to Texas to Marfa and then set in a circle and there's, an- there's another stone, a ninth stone which is even larger but has a solar array on it uh, of, uh, you know 10 meters or so away and that the, the, that absorbs sunlight generates electricity stores it in a bank of batteries and then every month on a full moon uh, an hour after sunset just before the full moon rises it activates in a display of light and sound in, in surround sound <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then the full yeah and the full moon rises as it sort of happens and um you know that was an experiment in a way but yet a fully formed idea but also a fully formed idea yeah, yeah well and don't get me yeah I, I guess i'm sort of I've, i made it sound less important but i mean in the end you know just like everything else in the art world like your name is going to be associated with it so your reputation is still associated with it so you can't just Say like, well, this is just a test over here. Don't take this. Yeah, thing seriously. exactly. You can't take you know, like, it. Yeah, you can't. You can't say that because then you know because everyone has to believe in it and trust you. And that's right. Of, you know, so you, you you always have to say this is like a thing, and it and it and it was a thing. You know, the, I mean, it was like the whole process was pretty fucked up because, you know, we spent five years doing this project because it was supposed to be you know this you know this 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 guy <laughs> this guy this curator sort of had he was doing a sh- he was uh, sort of curating a show in Marfa connected to the music festival that happens there uh, Mar- Marfa Myths his name is Griffin Rue and he said you know have you got any ideas for like works and I said yeah a solar powered stone circle you know and uh, and then the director at the time was like yeah that's a good idea let's do it you know and we were like okay so it's like February now it's going to be in September yeah we can do that Right, but we didn't know. None of us knew what what we were getting ourselves into. We, none of us knew how much it would cost or what it would entail. So yeah, so literally five years later, I was going to uh, say like, <laughs> just to carve marble slabs would take longer than that. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we ended up, you know, realizing it, um, and uh, it was a kind of a labor of love and sort of uh, like massive stressful moments like the stones getting stuck on the border and all kinds of stuff the politics of the you know, the border politics and anyway and then on the night of the unveiling now just this is the kind of <laughs> on the, the night of the unveiling bit. it rained <laughs> no well, no it's kind of worse so on the night of the unve- unveiling you know we're in the desert in Marfa and when was it was it it was kind of I think it was like January or February time yeah oh no maybe no no it was it was after that it was like April yeah it was later it was April maybe even May anyway in 2018 about an hour or so after the and before the unveiling a massive storm just appeared hail like the heaviest hail like no one in Martha's ever seen it like what the fuck and um it was like really you know crazy and the technician uh who was you know who was sort of leading the production or, or, uh, in Marfa sort of called me and said look uh this has happened so I'm going to just test the piece so he tested it and it worked fine 
but he couldn't switch it off he says but it doesn't reset and i was like okay well just let it do its thing and then when the time comes and the moon rises it will just set off again we're fine then we all everyone goes on site and you know people have flown in from everywhere a lot of people from new york from la uh, from the uk you know and probably other places right and we go on site and this uh woman comes up to me and says and she was sort of um her ancestry is like native people from that region and she said you know what this land was used for she just grabbed my arm and said you know what this land was used for i said no i don't know but you're going to tell me right she was like time travel and i was like okay and she said you are you sure you know what you're doing and i was like <laughs> no i'm not and and then she just disappeared like she just sort of like walked away like some kind of crazy you know have you ever you know dungeons and dragons you know of dungeon course. master from dungeons and dragons of he course, just comes yeah. along and says some like kind of i've had experiences yeah, like that but like, it usually involved lsd <laughs> yeah exactly there was no unfortunately there was no lsd i was looking for peyote because peyote is abundant in that region, i love like, it yeah right so um uh and I'm sure her, you know, her uh, lineage was uh, that. Anyway, so she disappeared and I was like, okay, weird. But y- yeah, so anyway, the, the the point is that it didn't activate. You know, the one time it had been fully tested like for months beforehand and it was all fine and all. But that night it just didn't do its thing. And nobody till this day knows why it didn't do it because there was a storm and everything. But like then the storm had passed and it, we had the most beautiful landscape, the most beautiful sunset. And actually, you know, like that, there's anything that you add to the landscape can't compete with the landscape. And just the stones themselves in this sort of formation were kind of incredible. And it did do something, but it did its own thing. It just did this kind of strange humming thing. It was it was really weird. Like a Rothko chapel hum kind of thing? Kind of, but really quiet to not even, you know, not enough to even... And I mean, I guess some people didn't know what was supposed to happen and... So they, yeah, didn't just, yeah, that, they, yeah, they didn't know that yeah. like, <laughs> so that's uh, so it was great it was kind to them. Of all right but the, you know some people were really pissed off there was you know investors and things that had, you know put in you know put in financing to the thing and they were like you know what what's going on and uh you know we tried to figure it out but there was this bizarre thing i mean it's it's technical but there was a relay switch that's time to turn on but it had latched on and it wouldn't let go. And there's no reason why it would do that. There's like no engineer or physicist that I spoke to or anyone could explain. I said, is it something to do with the storm? Time travel. <laughs> yeah, it could be time travel, yeah. Yeah, it might have been something. <laughs> Some portal opened, but it was very weird. And that was the only time it never worked. After that, it was completely fine. Every every month, day, you know, month in, month out, full moon, bam, it, it, it did its thing. Hmm. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you this. But I'm not sure. So back to Leof. <laughs> back to Leof, yeah. Back to Leof. But that's that's so that so that I did that project in 2018, and it's only now that it's gonna that type that work, the stone circle in itself is is gonna be realized as a you know if if that was like an experimental version, there's gonna be now a uh, a um, more uh, considered version, you know. So. I mean, up until now, that is that is Stone Circle, and that is the the project, you know. But uh, yeah, so even you know, and sometimes the you know the experimental version. So the thing that's happening here, this sort of, you know, there's obviously connections, but there's things that I've not done before in this in this scenario, uh, with the, with the two pieces. But 
you never really know whether the ex, you know the experiment in the in the festival situation is of more you know is the thing of value or there's a more resolved consolidated version sadly we never know whether our, any of those kind of answers until we have hindsight and distance yeah. like and then yeah. suddenly it's like oh yeah that did have great impact you know? yeah yeah but you won't know until later you just yeah, keep exactly. working yeah you don't know exactly you just keep you, know, you just keep plugging away yeah <laughs> all right well, this has been so much fun. Yeah, that was great. I mean, that was more than 45 minutes, though, wasn't it? We just sort of, like, just went on. Before you go, we would like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. We would also appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or studio mates. Anyone with an interest in the arts and creative industries. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community both today and in the future is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.